0: You are listening to the sermon stream of the Mulvane Church of Christ in Mulvane, Kansas. Subscribe in your favorite podcatching app or find and listen to any sermon online at Malvanechurch.com slash sermons. Today we want to turn for a final time to the book of Philemon, examining for a second time things from the perspective of the slave. Onesimus Paul said in verse 10 I appeal to you for my child Onesimus we talked about I Paul what Paul would do to help a brother out the way that Paul loved him the way that Paul for him uh, made uh, such a loving appeal offering a blank check if there's anything he owes you I'll repay Involving the brethren at the church at Colossae, making Onesimus uh, his uh, messenger, telling uh, the brethren that he would say, Onesimus would say anything that, uh, give any report about Paul that they were were wondering about that was not included in the letter. And we talked about Philemon. We talked about him uh, being appealed to as a brother, one who had, Full control of life and death over Onesimus, the useless slave who obviously had run up some charges and caused problems. And then we spoke lastly about Onesimus, the new convert who was asked to do such a hard thing. Uh, Certainly he uh, at one point in his life thought that running away and ending up uh, companions of a man in jail was preferable to staying and working in this house for this man and for this family. And we don't know what it caused things to go so sideways there. Uh, as Paul makes an appeal to uh, Philemon, it's an appeal to a good man. It's to a man who has a church meeting in his house. It's to a man who has some member of his family, uh, Archippus, uh, who is a fellow soldier of Paul. And uh, in the book of Colossians, he's told to fulfill his ministry. So he's a man with some position in ministry in the church. Uh, A man who almost certainly was a teacher of the gospel. So how this man Onesimus had gotten so sideways uh, with them that running away was preferable, we don't know. But now as a new man in Christ, he's going back to these in Christ at the behest of one who is in Christ. So regardless of the fact that they... A runaway slave is being returned to a Roman owner at the behest of a former rabbi. What's really important is that they're all men in Christ. And so there's an appeal made of love. There's no command or force in the whole thing except for the force of love. In Philip's paraphrase, and I've read a couple of different versions of the book of Philemon to you. I thought we might do that just one more time. This is Philip's paraphrase of the book to get the flavor and the nature of the appeal. Paul, prisoner for the sake of Jesus Christ, and Brother Timothy to Philemon, our much-loved fellow worker, Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, who's with us in the fight, to the church that meets in your house, grace and peace be to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank God for you, Philemon, in my constant prayers for you all, for I have heard how you love and trust both the Lord Jesus himself and those who believe in him, and I pray that those who share your faith may also share your knowledge of all good things that believing in Jesus Christ can mean to us. It is your love, my brother, that gives us such comfort and happiness for it cheers the hearts of your fellow Christians. And although I could rely on my authority in Christ and dare to order you to do what I consider right, I'm not doing that. No, I'm appealing to that love of yours, a simple personal appeal from Paul the old man in prison for Jesus Christ's sake. I'm appealing to you for my child. Yes, I've become a father even though I've been under lock and key, and the child's name is Onesimus. Oh, I know you have found him to be pretty useless in the past, but he's going to be useful now to both of us. I'm sending him back to you. You will receive him as if he were my son, a part of me, won't you? I should have dearly loved to have kept him with me. He could have done what you would have done. Look after me here in prison for the gospel's sake. But I would do nothing without consulting you first. For if you have a favor, uh, for if you have a favor to give me, let it be uh, spontaneous and not forced from you by circumstance. It occurs to me that there might have been a purpose in your losing him. You lost him a slave for a time. Now you're having him back for good. Not merely as a slave, but also as a brother Christian. He is already especially loved by me. How much more will you be able to love him, both as a man and as a fellow Christian? You and I have so much in common, don't we? Then do welcome him as you would welcome me. If you feel he's wronged you or cheated you, put that down to my account. I've written this with my own hand. I, Paul, hereby promise to repay you. Of course, I'm not stressing the fact that you might, we might say that you owe me your very soul. Now do grant me this favor, my brother. Such an act of love will do my old heart good. As I send you this letter, you know what to do. I believe, in fact, you'll do more. Will you do something else? Get a guest room ready for me, for I have great hopes that through your prayers I myself might be returned to you as well. And then the greetings with the listing of names. So here is Onesimus, the one sent back, and we think about what, what a send back he gets, and we think about all of these things. And last week we talked about all of the blessings he found when he went back in this way. Oops. There it is. We think about the fact that his legal status was fixed, no longer run away, no longer had the fugitary after him. His punishment would be averted. Is Paul going to punish him or is Philemon going to punish him with the many stripes that you'd normally give a slave who'd done a thing like this or the worst things that we might imagine a Roman slave owner could do? Not going to happen. His debts have been paid. And Paul says, I'll I'll cover them all. And his purpose was found. A place to serve Christ. A place to uh, love his uh, uh, brethren. Uh, We think about the fact that the house he ran away from, there was a church in it. And now he's going to go back as a member of that church, not just as a member of that house. And this is all because Philemon, or excuse me, Onesimus is very much a new man. He is a man whom Christ has changed. He is a man who is not the same fellow, as Paul has pointed out. He is not the same fellow who ran away. He's not the useless one. And now he's going to be useful. Of course, again, we know there was a play on his words there. As the word onisimus, the very name, meant useful. But he's going back as a new person. He's going back to that same old place. Uh, but he's going to go back in a different manner. He's going to go back in a different mindset. We sometimes think about people wanting to get a, a new start. And so they go to a new place. I'm going to go over there. And I'm going to get... A new start. Or recently in the popular musical uh, Hamilton, there was the line, in New York you can be a new man. (laughs) right? You you change your geography and the world opens up to you, you got a new thing. But, But Onesimus is going back to the same old dreary and depressing geography. He's going back to the same old place and the same old people. But what he is now is very different in Christ. It's the same place, it's the same people, in many ways, it's the same circumstance. But now, because of what he's learned of the gospel through the apostle Paul, it's an entirely different thing. Second Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. As the King James says there, behold, all things have become new. And so he goes back to the old situation in a totally new way. Having been reconciled to God, he can be reconciled to those people from whom he was so very estranged. Verse 18 of 2 Corinthians continues Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Reconciliation. The first reconciliation is obviously between God and man. What did Steve just mention? That Jesus came to bear the sins of the world. And thus, taking those out of the way, there can be reconciliation with God. Here in the book of Philemon, we see the obvious effect of that among men who have been so reconciled that first the Onesimus is able to make a deep, lasting, and personal connection with the Apostle Paul to be as it is his very own son. And then the Apostle Paul, who had a relationship already uh, with Philemon through the gospel, or whether that was direct, having converted him directly, or whether that's because that he taught uh, in Ephesus long enough that all Asia heard the word, and this certainly in the heartland of Asia— And so through the indirect teaching of the Apostle Paul, uh, maybe that did it. But in any case, through the teaching of the gospel by Paul, Philemon was converted and his soul was won to Christ. Well, Paul has a relationship then with him. Now, Paul uses those two relationships to bridge the relationship between the two. The two who were greatly estranged, such that one ran away from the other. One broke the law to get away from a fella. You know, when you don't like a fellow enough that you'll break the law to get away from him, you don't like the fella. And he probably doesn't like you much either. And so this is now being reconciled. This is the fruits of reconciliation on earth. This is the having fellowship with one another because the blood of Christ cleanses us of all sin of 1 John 1. The relationship with each other, is now being made right where it had never been right before because they both know Christ. And so Christ had changed him. Christ had changed the slave as he had previously changed the master and as he previously changed the persecutor. Christ changes all. And so Ephesians 2.13, we find, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. These folks, now I know that far off in this context is quite literally the Gentiles and the near are the Jews. But we think about it it applying here to this household. These people are far off in heart from one another, though they live under the same roof. They had very different circumstances in life, one the master, one the slave. But now they have the same relationship that's most important in that they're both in Christ. And this little church that meets in Philemon's house now gets a new member probably one of the most unlikeliest additions to their number they've ever had. That a slave who had run away some months or some years in the past is now being returned with the imprimatur of the Apostle Paul. With the Apostle Paul saying, he's a beloved brother. Who would have believed it? Unless you had an inspired letter, you probably wouldn't have believed it. And haven't we from time to time, haven't we from time to time seen conversions that are just about as unlikely, but also have been just about as thorough That it's like, if this wasn't a work of God, if this wasn't directly, I wouldn't have believed it. Well, it is the work of God to do these unbelievable works all the time. Because Christ, verse 14, continuing on Ephesians 2. Because Christ is our peace. Who made both groups to one. Who broke down the barrier of the dividing wall. By abolishing in his flesh the enmity. Which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances. So that he himself might make the two into one new man thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both into one body, to God through the cross. By it, having put to death the enmity, he came, quoting Isaiah, and preached peace to those who are far away and peace to those who are near. For through him we both have our access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, and you are of God's household. Again, I know this was about the entire melding of Jew and Gentile coming into one church and all being together, uh, but sometimes those grand things are a little hard to appreciate. Let's just think about these two men in this one house, one who was a saint and had a, a church. He, he offered the, his hospitality, and he offered his resources to the church that they might meet in his place. And amongst his household was an alienated one, was the one who hated to be there, was one who ran away. But now, because he has now found that gospel, which was preached in his living room, but he didn't know it and didn't recognize it at the time, now he's accepted that gospel, which was being preached in another room of the house. He's now come as a member of this house. He now comes as a fellow citizen with the rest. He now comes no longer a stranger and alien to it all, but he comes participant in it all. And so he is seen to be, and people can recognize, that he is this changed man. Let's put all these up there to start. We can see, and he was seen by Paul particularly in first, because Paul had had the privilege of being with him at the time of his conversion. We can see now that he is seen to be changed. Paul says, I have begotten him, verse 10, in my imprisonment. He used to be useless, but now he's useful for us both. When I send him back, verse 12, I am sending my very heart. I would like and would have liked, verse 15, to keep him forever. And now, verse 16, you get him. You get the benefit of having not just a slave, but you get a beloved brother. The Apostle Paul could not have been more confident in the change that had been wrought in Onesimus. Paul saw him what he now was and did not remember what he had been. And that is a a great thing we can do and should do for one another Uh, when we are in Christ and we are living properly in Christ, that we would have the the good uh, decency and kindness of heart to forget what a person was before. That we now know them as a Christian, that we now know them by their faith and their dedication, and if the Lord won't hold the trespasses they've done against them, well, how much less should we? There's this new reality of what this man is, and Paul sees it and fully acknowledges it, even if it might be hard to believe that such a thing has taken place. From time to time, we see folks, and we, we hear they're changed, And we've been told they've changed. And and we see them try to make the change. And we think, oh, that's not going to take. That's not going to work. They can't be that changed. I knew him. I know him. We think about the fact, though, that the Apostle Paul one time had the same experience himself. After his conversion, when he first went back to Jerusalem, Acts 9 and 26, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples. But they were afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple but Barnabas took hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he's spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And then it says he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem and speaking out boldly in the Lord. We wonder if somebody in Philemon's house among the servants in the back rooms And among the conversations that go on among the family in the front rooms of the house, we wonder if there was a a conversation like this. You know, we've heard that somebody said he was converted. I don't know. Anybody talk to him? What did he say? And then maybe they would report like this, that after a while they came to understand it. So Paul's experience might have made him uniquely suited to see or to look for such transformations. But understanding that such transformations are part of the gospel we should view them as normal. We should view them as regular. Now, they're still extraordinary, but we should not view them with such terrible suspicion as it often does. We think about the apostles, the son of thunder who became the apostle of love, or the zealot and the tax collector who ended up working together. All of these things, like Isaiah said, the lion would lay down with the lamb. These are foundational. These are fundamental parts of the faith. And so in this change, he was useful. As we said several times, Paul said, he used to be useless, but now he's useful for me and you. He used to be a slave, but now he's a beloved brother. He's faithful. Paul told the Colossian church, Onesimus is our faithful and beloved brother. And he tells Philemon, he says, I'm sending back to you my very heart, this new man who was begotten in my imprisonment. Paul said, this is a trusted man, and he's obviously a trusting man. Paul said again to the Colossians, Colossians 4 9, about Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, he said to him, uh, he and Tychicus, they will inform you of the whole situation. Paul made him his trusted messenger. Paul had said that anything he owes, I'll pay. Imagine if he went back and ran up more debts. You know, uh, just imagine how some people would act if you, like Paul did here with Onesimus, imagine how some people would act if you gave him a blank check. Anything he owes, I'll pay. Oh, anything? (laughs) You can only have that kind of conversation. You can only give those kind of uh, promises to trusting and trustworthy people. For Paul to do that, I will pay anything that he owes. you have to trust Onesimus and you have to, going forward, and you have to trust Philemon to not abuse those privileges. But we understand that both of these men, Onesimus and Philemon, they are under moral obligation. They would not do such a thing, would they? They just would not. That, that is no longer who they are. Well, Onesimus may have been that way once, and uh, who knows what uh, Philemon uh, had been before his time to come to the gospel. But we understand now that Onesimus is under great moral obligation. He comes back to this house on the promise and with the credit that he's what? Going to be this beloved brother. He's got he's had this this promise given in advance that he will prove himself to be. He will prove himself to be a useful brother a beloved brother. He will live up to what Paul has said. And we think about uh, the letter uh, that he carried with him. And, you know, he must have been uh, with Paul when Paul wrote this, because he's been with Paul a while. And Paul is sending to the Colossians. He's sending not just this letter of Philemon, but Paul is sending with Tychicus. Tychicus is carrying the, and we saw that direct, directly in chapter 4, we see that Tychicus was carrying the letter of Colossians. And so as the Apostle Paul is writing the letter of Colossians, and everybody acknowledges that the book of Ephesians was there too, book of Ephesians, Colossians, parallel letters, uh, most everybody thinks they are written at the exact same time and probably sent out together or, or within a very short time from one another. Uh, so Onesimus is with Paul as Paul writes the letter, To the Colossians, because it mentions him in it and says that's why he's here, and it explains about his presence. And so right there in the room where the writing happened, right there in that room, Onesimus had been there. Maybe right there while it was being written. And so you think, well, who was the first person who got to read the letter to the Colossians? Uh, Very likely it would have been Onesimus. It's partly about him, and it's a letter that's being sent with him. And so he knows and he would have been taught and instructed. And can you imagine the amount of time, the amount of hours, the amount of study, the amount of prayer the Apostle Paul would have spent with Onesimus before sending him back? Right? He didn't send him back the day after he was baptized. Right? He, he, he had to send him back, but he had to send him back after he'd been taught something. And so look at some of the things that are in the letter he carries, and look at the things that he's been taught he has to do, and now he has to live up to. So Colossians 1, excuse me, Colossians 3, we'll start in verse 1. It says, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, and that's, you know, every brother at Colossae, but it's also Onesimus maybe first. If you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, Seated at the right hand of God, set your mind on the things above and not on the things of the earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you will also be revealed with him in glory. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body to be dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you're living in them. But now also put them aside, all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have laid aside the old self and its evil practices, having put on the new self which is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him, a renewal in which there's no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience, Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ Richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. This is the life that Onesimus has signed on for, isn't it? This is in the letter that he himself helps carry back home. And so we can all and we all should put ourselves here in the text addressed generally to Christians and say that's me and that applies to me. How much more Onesimus when he gets down to such glorious things such as in Christ there's no uh, Greek or Jew there's no slave or free you're all part of the house well he is but also now Onesimus no anger no wrath. No lying, the new self, the renewed self, the compassionate self, the humble self. Yeah, Philemon needs to know that as he deals with his slave. But Onesimus is the one who's brought this. Onesimus is the one who needs the peace of Christ ruling his heart as much as the rest. This is the life he's now signed on for. And so his great moral obligation is one who comes in the door... And to ask for be restored and forgiven and received graciously to be received like the prodigal, his obligation is now to what? Live in this new good way. Live in this changed way. Live in such a way as that he really proves, as the Apostle Paul said, you need to prove to be that changed and useful person of whom we spoke. In the same verse here is in our Bible class this morning. Let him who steals, steal no longer. You know, he had run up some cost. The Apostle Paul had to cover those debts with his promise. He now, this man, needs to live this usefully. Don't steal anymore. Rather labor, performing with his hands what's good so he can have something to share. He needs to strive to prove these things. And if you look in the scriptures, there's a number of occasions where we are asked to prove various things. The Apostle Paul talked about being, uh, proving that the grace was not given to him in vain. First Corinthians ten, excuse me, First Corinthians fifteen, and verse ten: By the grace of God, I am what I am. His grace did not prove vain. Uh, Paul proved worthy of the commission given him and worthy of the the place he was given and the work he was given. Well, now Onesimus, he needs to prove that too. We're often asked to prove God's will in our lives in practical ways. Romans 12 and 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is. What's good, acceptable, and perfect. All right, Onesimus, you you, you came with a letter claiming great things about you. Where's the proof? The proof would be offered day by day. By being this Christian man that he was presented to be. He's received as a Christian. He's going to be asked to do what? And live as a Christian. That's his great obligation. People have stretched their neck out to an unbelievable extent for him. What does he need to do? He needs to prove that these things said about him in advance are, in fact, actually true. Philippians 2.15 uh, Prove yourself to be blameless and innocent, children of God above reproach, in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you appear as lights in the world. You know, if just the regular run-of-the-mill Christian, just all of us Christians, are to be proven to be blameless and innocent, proved to be children of God, proved to be above this crooked and perverse generation, proved to be lights, If everyone who names that name is asked to prove that, how much more so a man who, by name, is singled out as a useful and faithful brother, as a man who's truly been changed. You know, most of the brethren in the first century, we haven't a clue their names, right? I mean, if we would just go through, and and there there are, um, you can buy this book I've got in my library, I have the book, Everybody in the Bible, Or just list every single name of everybody in there, and gives a little one or two line summary about who they are. And if we go through, if we would go through the New Testament section of the Bible and look at all of those people whose name is listed, and then in the little summary, one of the things would be is is they're a member of the church. We would know the name of a couple of hundred brethren, right? We know the name of a couple of hundred first century brethren. We know mostly by the relationships to Christ and in the churches rather than individually by name. But you think about how much we end up knowing about this, this one brother, Onesimus, because Paul gives him such the recommendation. And if, if we had our time machine, our way back machine to go back and look and look people up, he'd be one of the ones because of familiarity with his name. We'd go look for, and what would we hope to find in the life that we saw in him? What, will we hope to, what kind of man will we hope to find after this uh, conversion and after this return and after this, this great... I mean, you talk about a character reference letter. <laughs> He's got a character reference letter from the Apostle Paul that calls him my own son. Please take him in. What kind of person would, uh, would he need to be? What, what, what would we expect of him to fulfill what James said? Prove yourself to be doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. We, we would have such high expectations of him and you know every eye every eye at the church is going to be on him for a long time. Every time he's at the church in the house there in the meeting in the courtyard or meeting in the living room or whatever meeting out in the, in, in the nice side yard out or the yard out back wherever the church met there on the property for a long time who's everybody going to make sure they see who are they going to look? Oh, he, he's still here he's still doing good okay he, he's still with us. He hadn't gone back. And eventually they wouldn't be surprised by that. And then eventually he would just be one of the stalwart people there. And he would hopefully prove to be this thing of which the Apostle Paul has said he so much was that he would justify Paul's great trust. That he would make the one who called him my son, he'd make him proud, make his father Paul proud in this regard. And so just out of gratitude to the Apostle Paul alone, how should he act? The Apostle Paul who did so much for him, loved him so much, spent so many hours with him and prepared him by teaching and by prayer and by encouragement, told him to do do this and it would work out. And we trust that that it did. And so gratitude alone should help Onesimus be dedicated so much to doing what's right. But... It's not just what the Apostle Paul did for him. And to the degree that the Apostle Paul uh, was effective in changing the life of Onesimus, what was really the heart of the change? It was Christ, right? It was Christ. And so it's it's not just and really even to the Apostle Paul, because what was the Apostle Paul doing but just his job as a Christian just his commission to take the gospel, just as from the gospel of Luke, you know, when when we've done all that we should do, just you know, still say, well, we are but unprofitable servants. The apostle Paul wouldn't seek credit for himself, but but for Christ. And certainly, uh, there, these men would be greatly loyal to each other, but the greater loyalty would be in Christ and to Christ. And and what would and what should Onesimus do? Out of gratitude for Christ and to Christ. Gratitude to Christ. Shouldn't that be uh, the great uh, thing that motivates him? And sometimes we kind of misplace things, uh, especially when it's Christians who do so much for us. Why is it that Christians, like the Apostle Paul, why is it that they do so much for us? And who here hasn't had so very much done to them For and by Christians. Who hasn't been greatly helped by Christians? Why did those Christians help so much? Because they were all such good people. A lot of Christians I know have been great people. But what made them good? What's the common thread? Well, the common thread is Christ. They were good to me because they thought it their duty to Christ to be good to me. And when I try to be good to other people, yes, you know, my own... Uh, philanthropy, my own altruism, my own goodness to some degree, if I have any you know I, I try because you know it 's the right thing to do, but how many times have we do not recognize that the power to do that, the inclination to do that, the teaching to do that, the encouragement to do that, the very ethos of it all behind it is Christ, and the r- real continual gratitude we should all have. We can see it in the life of Onesimus as so much was done for him to take the useless and the worthless and the runaway and to make him instead a brother and a son and a friend and faithful and useful and a good member of the church there in the house. We can see that that was the work of Christ and the blessing in Christ and the same with us. What would we be without Christ? Would we not be as broken and as useless would we not be as costly rather than beneficial, but would not we be costly to others? Would we not be since so often a detriment to others except for Christ? And so of all the things we have have, and all the things we've been saved from and all the things like Onesimus we've been elevated to, it is because the relationship that is based in Christ and we've been elevated to such a position that says in Hebrews 2.11, talking about Christ, it says, both he who sanctifies, that's Christ, and those who are sanctified, that's us, are all from one Father, for which reason he, about, that's Christ, is not ashamed to be called their brethren. We are made the brother of Christ. Onesimus was made the brother of Philemon, and how good it was for him to be so. But Hebrews 2 says, we are the brothers of Christ, and we've been elevated to such a place in that he's not ashamed for that relationship to exist. We say he's our brother, and he says back to us, he says to us, they're my brethren. And the same thing in Hebrews 11, talking about the faithful, those who seek the heavenly country, therefore God's not ashamed to be called their God. And so in chapter 2 and in chapter 11 of Hebrews, there's this unique phrase that he's not ashamed. And in both occasions, it's about divinity. Christ and the Father not being ashamed of us. That's an elevation, isn't it? Because how many times are we ashamed of us? How many times am I ashamed of me? It's noon, so I've had 12 hours today of it. But how many times am I just ashamed of me? How many times are you ashamed of you? How many times are we ashamed of each other? And and the brethren do something. Oh, oh, the brethren again. God is not ashamed of us. This is the place to which we've been lifted. So then how much should gratitude play a part? In Hebrews 12, one more time in Hebrews. Since we've received a kingdom that can't be shaken. Let us show gratitude. Show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Our first response to all the things given to us in Christ should be gratitude. We think about Onesimus. How often should he get down on his knees and thank the Lord for the Apostle Paul and his work and that letter? He should be thanking God every day that such a thing was done. But how about 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 us? How often should we and how often do we get down on our knees and thank God for what he has done for us, lifting us even to the place where he's not ashamed of us, having changed us, that he doesn't have to be ashamed of us, having sanctified us, having put us on the path to glorification, and so that he doesn't have to be in any way ashamed to be associated with us. How much gratitude should we have? Should we not overflow with that? Well, that's the words of Colossians 2. Colossians 2.6. Therefore, as you've received Jesus Christ, the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. And so what is the real obligation that Onesimus has now toward Philemon and toward Paul and to the Lord? It is a great moral obligation to do right based on what? An overflowing of gratitude. And if you realize where he was from and where he went to, you go, yeah, <laughs> overwhelming gratitude, that, that's the only response that makes any sense. And you look at us and where we've come from, and to where we're going, and the place and the path we are now in Christ, and the blessings we received in him, what is the only possible response? Having been rooted in him, having been built on him, This again Colossians 2, 7, having been rooted in him, having been built on him, having been established in your faith in him, having been instructed in this way by his gospel, what's the only possible response? It really should be an overflowing of gratitude. And... Then we think about, well, that sort of makes our moral obligations pretty light, doesn't it? Because I'm so, I'm so happy that he's lifted us to do this. I'm so happy that he's given us this place and position. And so Onesimus had obligations in returning, but they were going to be rooted in the blessings given him and the gratitude that he should rightly have for that situation, as do we. With well, that then we'll close this lesson and this series on the book of Philemon thinking about the gratitude we should have for that which has been so freely given us. This morning if you need to come to Christ if you need to come to access those wonderful blessings he's given which is bought at the great price of his own blood that he died for us to save us from sin that he takes away the sins of the world if you need to come to him confess him and be baptized or if you need to come and return confessing sin we offer the invitations we stand Thank you for listening to this sermon from the Mulvane Church of Christ. Additional sermons and information available at mulvanechurch.com. Come see what a difference the Bible way makes.